You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Apple Extended Keyboard 2, MacBooks, car radios, and an update on Tim's Mini Arcade. All that, much more, Tech Fan Podcast 210. And it is Tech Fan Podcast number 210. I'm Tim Robertson, and hey, there's David Cohen. Hello, David. Hello. So, um, boy, I, I, you know, last week I talked about building an arcade with my kids. And mm. um, I, we actually got started on it. Although up to this point, most of the work, okay, all of it, has been done by me because it's been... <laughs> It's been kind of pre-work, if you will. It's stuff that they don't really, they're not comfortable doing. Well, I'm sure they're giving you moral support. They are. Encouragement. And and Cole wants old buttons from the from the little arcade. Cause I, old I, I, buttons? What do you mean by that? Yeah, You know, the buttons that you push on an arcade? You right. You know, the fire button and stuff like that. When I replace those buttons, the old button comes out. Well, he wants the old buttons. Right. He wants to use the old buttons. Okay. I, I, Do he they still have, work all right? Well, sure. You, you can push them, and they're just a little spring inside there. But okay. I don't know what he does with them, but he wants them. <laughs> oh, I see. I thought when you said he wants it, you, I thought you were saying he wants the old buttons in the console, like put back the original no, ones. No, no, when I replace no, he wants them. to play with them. Yes. All right, okay. So, All right, I get it now. So we. Uh, so the, the first thing I wanted maybe, to do yeah. after... You know, we discussed it last week. Is kind of hook all the components up and actually test it before I actually start fitting all this stuff in this little arcade, which is going to be a tight fit. Um, make sure it it works. I mean, that's you know, there's no point in building this if all these pieces that I got from various places don't all work together. And um, not only that, if you cram it all in there and then it doesn't work, you've got no idea where the fault might be exactly <laughs> so you gotta do the whole job again yes and there's yeah. just no place to work inside that little cabinet and remember for those who didn't listen to the last episode and shame on you uh we're i'm building a mini arcade now they there's a lot of plans online to build a barcade which is a an arcade machine that you put on a bar top um but that's not really what I'm doing. I'm, yeah, you know I'm, what? I've seen those a lot. I've never yeah. actually seen a bar with, with those in. Uh, I have. But then again, I hardly ever go into bars, yeah. so it's surprising that I've actually seen one. Yeah. Um, I'm taking the iCade, which is um, a product that started out as an April Fool's joke from ThinkGeek, that they built this little uh, 3D mock-up of a mini arcade that you put your iPad in, and it used a Bluetooth controller, buttons, and, and joystick. And you can play arcade games on your iPad. And it feels kind of like you're playing in an actual arcade. Well, it was such a popular thing that they turned it into a real product. And they've sold probably, I don't know, 100,000 of them at this point. Yeah. Maybe more. This thing is not It's probably about, well, three, four inches taller than a, 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 a original iPad. And... Yeah, it's a fair bit deeper, but it's, we're not talking about something large. 
Oh, it's not. It's it's bigger than that. You know what? I got. Do I have oh. a tape measure? If I had a tape measure, I, yeah, I do. I got a tape measure, and I got the. Uh, I have to get up though. So hold on a second. It's uh. Uh, it's forty-eight by thirty-three by twenty-four centimeters. Yeah, there you go. Stop looking online and cheating. I look tape measure. So here, uh, nineteen by thirteen by nine point six inches in US. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's not small, but it's not big either. It's, yeah, it's nowhere near the size of a of even a barcade cabinet. No. It's much smaller. Than it that, is yeah. much smaller, but it does yeah. use full size buttons, a full size arcade stick. Uh, they're built pretty well. Now the the control panel in the front of the arcade, uh, iCade, is plastic. The rest is uh, wood. Although my guess is it's not wood all the way through. It's probably particle board or something of you know quality of that sort. It's not great stuff, but it's there's a lot worse stuff out there too. And so the idea is to put a ten inch screen, a little flat screen, in this, mount it up there somehow. And then put a power supply, a PCB, which is where the games are on, um, a video card, all of that stuff with possibly a new joystick and buttons. So we've got all the pieces. And I wanted to connect the power to the PCB and hook up the video with the video card. No controls, just to make sure when I turn it on, it actually works. And I did that earlier in the week. And I sent, I, I filmed it, and I sent it to David, so David actually could see this thing working. Spaghetti City. <laughs> yeah, when it's laid out on your table with a yeah. white tablecloth, you see all the, the the cables and the wires and all that. I've I got to hand it to you because I I looked at what you got going, and yeah, I mean it was amazing it worked, but it looked quite daunting to me. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of daunting. It really is. And you got to figure, I'm doing this project with a 7- uh, and a 11-year-old. Tw- uh, yeah. So, you know, it, this is not, it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. And there's a lot of this kind of work that's going to go into building this thing that they can't really help me with. Um, but I want them to help. I want them to have a sense of ownership and accomplishment that we built this thing together. And I even told my son, if, you know, we get this thing done before the end of the year, and they've only got like 11 days of school left this year. If we get, get this done and, and operational, I'll bring it up to his school and mm-hmm. he can show it to his classmates. Um, that's possibly doable, but it's going to be really tight. And I've got my doubts that we'll get it done in time. But if we do, I think it'll be pretty cool for him to show his classmates. Yeah. And so, yeah, I got it all laid out. Now, if you want to see what I've done so far, and you want to see not the same video that I sent David. I actually took another video about 10 minutes after the one that I sent David. I posted it at notnewvideogames.com. Now, is that, is that what it is? What do I... Yeah, notnewvideogames.com. Uh, I posted a... Uh, an embedded YouTube video. It's about a minute and a half long, and uh, it's called Building the Mini Arcade Part 1. And uh, it didn't get a ton of look. Uh, it's right, 63 so people. And you probably heard that... Uh, yeah, that's playing in the background, which you couldn't hear. Um, mm-hmm. It's got 63 views so far. So not a ton of people are, are watching it. But 63 people so far have, have uh, taken a look. 
And I sent the cool. same video that I sent you. I sent that to Chad Perry. Mm-hmm. Um, Chad Perry, of course, is the original co-host with me of the MyMac podcast. And he will, by the way, be in um, Woodstock, Illinois, with me for Mac Stock on June 20th. So if you want to meet me and Chad, Mac Stock in Woodstock, Illinois, uh, June 20th. I sent that over to uh, to Chad as well, and his response was impressive. Now to stuff it in a box. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I, I commented that I thought it was going to be tight getting everything in the arcade. It was, it was bigger than you thought. It was bigger than I thought, and yeah. the iPad, the iCade, the space that I have to work with inside of it and behind it is less than I thought. Mm-hmm. So I actually considered, well, maybe we'll just make a barcade. Yeah. But I'm not giving up that easy. <laughs> and I made more room underneath the iCade. Yeah. Because the, the control panel itself is plastic, there's a mm-hmm. plastic kind of uh, bottom to it as well that's pretty deep that goes almost to the bottom of the iCade itself. The thing is, it, it just has wires in there. It's where you put the batteries to power the Bluetooth, um, you know, the bottom of the joystick and all that. I cut all of that out mm-hmm. with my Dremel tool, and it opened up enough space that I can actually put a power supply underneath it now on its side, and that... Uh, that alleviates a lot of the problems because now I know where I can fit my video board yeah. and the uh, controller switch and the PCB. All of that's going to be mounted directly behind the screen on that piece of wood. I mean, okay. it'll still be inside the cabinet, but yeah. that's where it's going to be mounted. So now I wanted to ask you something about the um, the jammer board itself. Yep. Because obviously the games running on there, they originally they originally were kind of hard coded games. They were you know, they weren't kind of. They were they burned onto ROMs. Yeah, exactly. So, how does that single PCB run all of those different games? Is it running some sort of virtual layer itself, or I mean, how does that work? It's coded on the chips, and there's a yeah. there's a front end that's coded that says, believe it or not, iCade. Um, right. And it it presents you with six games on your screen. And you use your joystick to move down the 60 games till you find the one you want and you hit player one. But is it, do you, I mean, maybe you don't, you don't know the answer to this. Is it running those original games in some sort of emulation layer as well? Or is it running the original code? It's running in, the original some- code, but some of it has been modified simply because right. it's using this JMA hardware that these games, it's looking for, for specific chips. So some of it has been changed. Right. Uh, I know some of the games, the sound isn't 100%. But right. for the most part, it is the actual code from the old uh, microchips. And it's certainly a more um, realistic go than, than using MAME on a PC. Uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I don't want to downplay how impressive MAME is and how good it works. Uh, because, yes, MAME is software. It's 100% software. But it's running this old code. It's uh, emulating an old arcade cabinet. But it's on a modern PC that's so much more powerful that it does it with almost no effort. Uh, other than yeah. vector games, the graphics are the same or, in most cases, much better than it was in the original arcade. Yeah. So, but I mean, you can get 
amazing results using MAME. And you can get MAME for the Mac, Linux, Windows, you name it. You could run it on a 10-year-old piece of hardware, and you're basically running that arcade. Uh, the mm. ROMs are trickier to find, but if you're good at Google, you'll find all the ROMs that you want. Uh, and there is, you know, a case to be made for, is this legal to download these ROMs if you never actually own the games? Technically, yes, that's illegal. But you know, other than Nintendo, nobody's going after the people that are sharing these ROMs up online. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. where we're at. I, I hooked everything up. It all works. Uh, at least I assume it works. It powers up and I can see the game. And if you don't push any buttons and don't do anything, you just let the game sit there on, it actually starts cycling through each game and it does a quick you know, minute and a half demo screen and then it goes back to the main screen. It waits for like a min- another minute and then it goes to the next game and it fires it up and it shows you how to play. Just like in an arcade. If, if you're not cool. playing an arcade, yeah. it goes through its little demo screen thing. It's yeah. called the attract mode. And uh, it, it ran through all of that. It looks great on that little screen. Uh, you tell me. You saw the iPhone 6 Plus video that I took and sent to you. Did yeah, it look no, okay? It, it, it did look great. Um, you know, I was I was impressed by how look it, how good it looked, to be honest. I, for some reason, I kind of expected the screen to be a little bit grainy and perhaps low resolution, but no, it looked fabulous. Yeah, the, uh, the screen that I picked is actually used in a lot of Android tablets. <laughs> uh, it's a 10.1-inch screen, I believe. Yeah. And it's used as an OEM screen for uh, just different tablets that are out there. And remember... I, mean, I, guess, I guess that's, again, that's slightly different from the original game, because they use CRTs, and some of them kind of did tricks in the refreshes of the screens and stuff like that to improve the graphics, didn't they? Yes. Whereas an LCD doesn't work anywhere like that. And the video card's going to correct some of that as well, as you're pushing yeah. through. But remember, I mean, none of this stuff is over... 16-bit graphics <laughs> so and i'm running it on a high def as high def as you can get for a 10-inch screen so it's going to look good and it it really looks silky smooth so and again this whole project is costing me less than 200 bucks yeah yeah no it's it's very very cool have you seen the trailer for that movie that's coming out this summer pixels on the retro game movie yeah 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 that looks funny to me it's the first. It's the first Adam Sandler movie that looked actually looked funny to me. I thought, oh, that looks yeah. pretty good. So, so for anyone who's not seen it, the idea is is that um, aliens come to attack the Earth, and by picking up our transmissions, they no, kind of no. They, is, it, it's, is it transmission or does somebody get something get sent in a probe or something? Yeah, we sent out a probe in the eighties, and it took all the eighties culture, like Ronald yeah. Reagan and some music and stuff like that, and sent it off into space. And these aliens found it saw the video games and of course it's pac-man and donkey kong and pong and space invaders they got the wrong message and they attack us using that yeah they they interpret it as an attack so they send the same uh using their technology the same entities back to attack us so there's a big pixelated pac-man chewing chewing the way through the and and adam sandler and his and his guys and it's got peter dinklage from game of thrones and things like that in it they they are and like like old 80s arcade experts, mm-hmm. arcade game champions who are recruited by the military to fight back in real life. It looks kind of, it does look fun. I mean it it's one of those things that it was one of those games that it's all about it's one of those films, sorry, that's all about the execution. Yep. Um, I mean it, it may may make for a great trailer and a lousy movie, but um you know, the the I I love the idea of of them actually being really inside Donkey Kong, <laughs> but it was all still pixelated. It's really cool. Pixels movie. Let's see if there's a trailer. Yeah, there's a 
There's a couple trailers out there, and, and it, it does look funny. I'll I'll play the trailer here so people can hear it, but you can't hear it, David. So it starts with a space shuttle launch. It says in 1982, NASA sent a time capsule into space. And it shows this rocket ship in the hope of contacting other life forms. And it shows the cosmos. Included were examples of our life and culture. So Ronald Reagan, a Rubik's Cube, and Pac-Man, and Donkey Kong. It was intended to be a message of peace shot of the earth. Unfortunately, it was taken the wrong way. Kind of a... Some alien life force has sent real-life video games to attack us. And that when the attack itself, it kind of looks like it's turning everything into pixels. Yeah. And there's giant Pac-Man eating a... Fire truck. Man's a bad guy. Most of the tech sites are panning it. You know, they're being very friendly. They say the boots going to bomb. It's going to be terrible. I guess it's it's fashionable to to bang, you know, to bang against things that are retro. The only way to take down Pac-Man is with ghosts. These ghosts are minis. I'm kidding. We are all gonna die. I'm just sorry. May I introduce to you Professor Iwatani, the creator of Pac-Man. Pac-Man is not bad. You'll see. Professor Iwatani, what are you doing? I will talk to him. He's my son. Hello. My sweet little boy. He's walking up to Pac-Man. And he's giant. It's so sweet. He's so sweet. I know. You're a good boy. Reaches his hand out. And Pac-Man bites it and turns his hand pixely. Looks pretty good. Yeah. I, I definitely want to see it. And yeah, I'm a, a video game guy at heart. Have been my whole life. Going back to the 70s. But even if I wasn't, this looks pretty funny. So anyways, if you want to follow my progress, I will be talking about it here on the TechFan Podcast. But I'll also be posting video and pictures at notnewvideogames.com. And if I do have pictures and video, <clears throat> I am sharing them up on our Facebook page. So the same video that I'm talking about on notnewvideogames.com is also on the TechFan Podcast Facebook page. But I'm excited to get this thing going, David. The next the next big step is to start cutting some wood and putting a a bottom on this thing. And uh, uh, the back of it's going to be in two pieces. About a quarter of it on the bottom is going to be fixed. And the top three-fourths of it is going to be on a hinge so I can open up this machine from the back. I, I think this is going to be very interesting. And, uh, you know, as you say, you, look, you kind of look for people doing this sort of thing online. And most people are putting tablets um, and and main emulators into the into the arcade. There's no use actually putting a real original arcade board in there. So no, uh, or they're using Raspberry Pis. Yeah, which but, is, but again, is that, cheating to me. Well, it, you know, it's again, it's it's running MAME that isn't it? So yeah, uh, yeah. It, it I mean, it is. It makes it simpler. 
um, it, I guess some people like to, you know, they they don't want to have the real hardware and the real you know stuff in there, and probably most people, to be honest, don't aren't even aware you can buy it like the way you. It's only because you're kind of you have full size consoles that you kind of know. You you kind of know that that these these boards exist really. They're, they're a bit of a niche market. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I think it'll be cool. I'm looking forward to seeing it working. Me too. If it goes good, I might do another one eventually, and I'll go a vertical screen with like a 512 and one board in it. Uh, because again, it's it's just it doesn't cost a lot to do it. Um, and look, I'll be honest with you, David. I'm terrible at woodworking. I really am. Uh, it's not my strong suit. Cutting and and putting stuff together, even if I have plans in front of me, I'm not the greatest at. And this is no plans. This is all. Huh, I guess I'll I'll measure twice and cut once, and then hopefully it'll fit in there right. So yeah, you know, uh, I I I was always a big fan of the vector games. Um, I I kind of think it's a shame that nobody does those anymore. So, I I agree. Uh, no, I guess if if I were to have my own um, arcade cabinet, I'd like to one, have one with a vector monitor in and just do vector games on it. Well, I uh, I thought I had everything, even when I made that video for you, David. There was a few yeah. things that I was missing. The power switch, uh, not the power brick itself, the, the actual switch, turn it on and off. I bought it off Amazon. Remember, it was like less than five bucks. It didn't yeah. come with a fuse. <laughs> And none of the hardware stores have the right fuse. I needed a 10 amp, and it's smaller. It's like the old style fuse in cars, like the with the glass and the two metal things on each end. Yeah, uh, it's that kind of fuse. And I couldn't find them online, so I went back to Amazon to the original listing for this power switch, and it says, "Oh, when people buy this, they usually buy this." And it was a five pack for like two bucks of the fuses. Yeah. So I just I ordered that, got here yesterday, and I was also missing. I don't want to mount the PCB directly on top of the wood. I want it raised up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I have these little legs now. They're little L-shaped legs that's for PCBs. And it comes with the screws to screw the PCB into the top of this leg. And then it's mm-hmm. an L-shape so I can still screw it into wood. You yeah. know, the, the actual base of this little L. And, uh, yeah, I, I got like 50 of them. And it was again less than five bucks. <laughs> I mean, it's just it costs nothing. And uh, I'm looking forward to putting it together, though. You know, cool. it's it's going to be a fun project for the kids. And speaking of the kids, I also sent David another video yesterday. You know, David, we all like to think our kid these modern kids they they're only interested in computers and and stuff like that, video games, and they don't like to go outside and do things. Well. My son is in Cub Scouts. It's his first year in Cub Scouts. My daughter goes with him all the time because, you know, she does. And (laughs) yesterday at the Cub Scout meeting, it actually happened at his elementary school. And they made water rockets out of uh, two-liter bottles of uh, soda. So they had a little little, uh, cardboard cone for the nose and little uh, fins for it that use duct tape to tape it all together. Mm-hmm. And uh, you put it about a quarter inch of or a quarter full of water, and then you pump it up with a bike tire pump, and then you let it rip, and it flies up in the air. And they had a ball. Every kid that was there just loved this. It was so much fun for them. We um, 
my son has a set that lets you do that. Yeah. And uh, uh, probably about 18 months ago, um, we went out to the park to try it out. And uh, there were some kids playing football down there. And they kind of came over and saw what we were doing. Before we knew it, there was like 30 kids in a big circle around waiting for this thing to go off. <laughs> <laughs> and chasing after it every time it went off and do it again, do it again. Yeah. You know, it's something, it's something very uh, visceral that kids, kids enjoy about that. You know, the, here's the thing. If you enjoyed something as a kid, your kids are going to enjoy the same thing. Yeah. You know, it. yes, they like Pokemon cards. They also like playing football or baseball or soccer. You know, they like playing video games, but they also like firing off rockets, things that go flying up in the air. It's all fun. They They don't, you know, as adults, we kind of, put out of all of these different things into compartments but for them it's all just fun it's all yeah. part of childhood and uh it was fun to see that last night and it was also fun to be able to share that with uh you on the other side of the ocean almost instantly you know i took yeah. this video and i thought well oh, i'll show this to david I, and i loved your response by the way <laughs> i said uh, watch out because particularly because brooks went a long way it did it really flew. Um, I said, "I said, watch out! The North Koreans will ha- will have your kids working on their submarine program before you know it, because um, they the North Koreans published a picture last week of them firing a, a submarine from a missile, a missile from a submarine. Though it has apparently turned out, and they've got previews for this, that um, it was badly photoshopped, and they reckon that the launch didn't actually take place. Yeah, <laughs> big surprise." Sorry. It's unfortunately that's unfortunate that that's still an issue in 2015, but yeah, that's a subject for a different podcast, I think, not this yeah. one. <laughs> so there's a lot of uh, cool stuff going on in the uh, tech world right now, and we're going to talk about that after this quick break. <sighs> What's wrong, guy? Oh, just thinking about how much I miss the MacWorld Expo, the fun, the sense of community. The presentations, the people giving out great information about what's going on in the Mac world, the candy apples and roller coasters. Candy apples and... Look, Guy, I can't address this weirdness about nausea-inducing rides, but you can get the rest of all of that at the MacStock Conference this summer near Chicago. The MacStock Conference? Yeah. It's being held in Woodstock, Illinois on June 20th, 2015. There will be great presentations by Alison Sheridan of the No Silicast podcast, Mike Potter from the For Mac Eyes Only podcast, Chuck Joyner from Mac Voices, Tim Robertson from TechFan, Eric Erickson, Julie Kuehl, and appearances by a lot of other well-known Mac podcasters and journalists. That sounds fantastic. I wish I was giving a presentation there. Uh, I actually believe you are, Guy. I am? I wonder what it'll be on. Hopefully not roller coasters. No promises. We should get the word out about this. Well, I think this is where Mike Potter jumps in and tells us all about it. Hey, everyone. Come to the MacStock Conference and Expo on June 20th in Woodstock, Illinois. It's going to be a day of community and information for Mac and Apple users unlike anything else out there. Easy to get to, inexpensive, and packed full of the people you know and love from the independent Apple press. Just go to MacStockExpo.com for more information. If you sign up soon, there's great discounts off the regular admission price. Remember, 
That's the Mac Stock Conference and Expo at MacStockExpo.com. Back here on TechBand Podcast number 210. We love to get feedback from you. Uh, real easy to do. You can simply email us, the show at techfanpodcast.com, or go to uh, our Facebook page, our Twitter page, or our website, techfanpodcast.com, and uh, leave a message at any of those places, and we will read them here on the air. Speaking of which, David, uh, John Nemo at mymac.com sent you one. He did. He was he was pointing out uh, audio, the streaming service to me, and was wondering uh, whether it was available in the UK. Um, it is, John, and uh, yeah, thanks for pointing that out. I actually, uh, after the show last week, I went and kind of did a bit of searching around, trying to find out a comparison of all the UK streaming services, uh, and I found one, actually. it was I think it was on The Verge or somewhere like that, uh, and it turns out they're all £10 a month, so that's pretty much the standard price. That's the standard moment. price. Um, which, as I say, well, okay, fine, there's not much competition there, but for me, it still feels a little bit expensive, and as I was saying, I have this, this dichotomy, because... £10 a month is really nothing in the grand scheme of things for, uh, you know, kind of pretty much unlimited music, but yet it kind of feels a little bit more than I'm, you know, willing to, to stretch in my pocket to pay, and, and that's why I'm, I'm a little bit conflicted there. So I'm still deciding whether I'm going to do it or not. Um, I am increasingly tempted, but um, yeah, $16, $17 a month is is quite a big, quite a big commitment. I, I think the problem is I'm not sure I'm going to use it enough to make it worthwhile to actually spend that sort of money because I listen to a lot of podcasts so I don't listen to music that often um, so so I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit unsure really about whether it's whether it'd be good value for me I uh, use uh, <clears throat> in the car I use uh, Sirius XM mm-hmm. and I'm on a every three month program there that's about 30 bucks yeah so yeah, and yeah, and apparently all these things are ten dollars in the states, so yeah. it's substantially more expensive here. Well, here, for instance, Sirius mostly music, and of course, you still have to buy the hardware, which is pretty yeah. cheap to be honest. Is nine ninety nine a month monthly oh. for their all access? You get everything. It's eighteen ninety nine a month, or you can. It's very select programs. Um, Fourteen ninety nine a month. So, if you wanted everything with with serious it's going to cost me what 60 bucks every three months mm. uh, that's too much yeah 30 bucks every three months is even kind of pushing it for me to be honest but i do listen to it pretty much every day yeah i think that's the problem i know i wouldn't i know i've done this to it infrequently and 10 pounds a month seems a lot of money for something that i'm only going to occasionally do but maybe maybe if i do it i would encourage myself to listen to it more i don't know they have uh, an add-on streaming for four dollars a month. Yeah. Hmm. The problem is, you see, I mean, all these services are, are fairly well constructed, such that the features you really want, you means you need to have the premium subscription. I could, I could use Spotify for free, but the problem is, I'm going to get ads, which I can kind of live with because that's like commercial radio. But the 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 big killer is they don't let you just choose a choose a playlist and then play it in the order you want it to yeah you can't you can't go listen to an album from an artist and play it in the running order you have to um let it shuffle and uh you know for people with ocd like me that's not good enough <laughs> uh yeah that's kind of why i always liked having all my music on you know at the time my ipod and then later my iphone even though i couldn't put all my music on there 
I could yeah. put enough on there where it was satisfying. Where if I didn't like the song, I'd just go to next. Or if my kids are in the car and they wanted to hear Uptown Funk for the third time in a row, I could actually do that. Well, you see, that, that I get that sort of thing for my kids, but the problem is I don't often don't have the music they ask for. Yeah. Um, and, so, and often I don't even own the music they ask for. So, and I'm even, if I'm in the car, then I'm not going to be able to go, you know, trying to buy something from iTunes. But if I had Spotify, then yes, I could just search for it and play it there and then. And, and that kind of a, you know, that, that that's attractive to me. Is but, there a uh, Spotify player in the, your car? I know you got that electric leaf. Uh, no, nothing like that in nothing. the media system. No, but it. But I mean, if you have your phone with you, you have you have far better media system than anything in the car anyway. You so, know, I've always uh, wondered about that. Those I, I get putting. Radios that have XM in them, almost all American cars do that now. Yeah. But what about these apps? You don't... Yes, it's good when you first buy the car and you subscribe to that app and you can listen to Spotify or Pandora or whatever it is. But what happens eight years down the road when you buy that car used and those services are gone? You've got this old icon from this app that doesn't even exist anymore stuck on your dashboard. Yeah, well, um, I, I guess, you know, it's kind of like if you buy an old 70s car and it has an 8-track into the... Oh, speaking of, dash. stuck on your dash, yeah. um, I just remember this. I wanted to talk about this. Oh, I just went to Amazon.com and they have a happy 35th anniversary Pac-Man thing. It's like cool. I can't get away from video games or something. Yeah. Um, it's because, because you use Facebook, they know everything about you. This company sent me this to uh, review here on TechFan, and I'm not ready to review it yet, but I wanted to see how much it actually costs. A lot of companies now, and I know I've talked about this before, will approach uh, me to review a product either here or at MyMac.com, and instead of sending it to me directly, they'll actually give me this code that I put in Amazon, and it gives me the product for free, and then Amazon ships it, which I think I still think that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so this is the product. It's the Kumis CD Air CD slot. And Kumis is K-O-O-M-U-S, CD Air slot. It's a uh, mount for your iPhone or Android device. And the nice thing is uh, they sent me the XL version, I guess, which is uh, for a bigger phone. Mm-hmm. Or no, I guess this is the one that they sent me. Um, yeah, because it says for 6+. So I ordered this thing because I've had a heck of a time finding a mounting system for my iPhone 6 Plus in my car if the phone itself is in the case. The only thing that I found that really works is one of those, um, you, you kind of stretch it wider and you stick your phone in there and it snaps shut with some springs. Yeah. yeah. And it goes right onto the, the vent of the car. Yeah, it sounds uh, yeah, like a great idea. Except here's the problem, David. Because it's a, it's on the vent. If I have my air conditioning on, my iPhone literally is starting to freeze. <laughs> and if I yeah. have my heat on, it starts to overheat. I ha- I have one like that, but the one I have has a um, a suction pad. But the suction pad is made of that you know that kind of micro suction material. Yeah, you know the stuff that you can put on a desk, and after about five minutes, it sticks like glue. Yep. Um, so it, it has that in the suction pad. So if this this will actually suck to the top of your dashboard. 
and once it's on there it's not coming off and then it has a, a kind of a, a net coming out with with one of those springy things on but the problem and, with that david is imagine a six plus on top of your dash it's huge yeah well that that's it yeah so i wanted something that's not on the dash that's rather on the dashboard but i didn't want it right up against the vents yeah. And so when this company reached out to me and I looked at their product, I thought it kind of looks like the old alien ship from War of the Worlds. Okay. What this does is you it has a, a little switch on the bottom of it. You slide this into the CD player of your car because chances are you're probably not using your CD player anymore. <laughs> you, you flip the switch up and it expands these little um, teeth, if you will. Uh, these little grippers, and then they open up a little bit and it wedges it inside your CD player. Then a little arm comes out with the little uh, holders on it for your iPhone. So it's your iPhone then is kind of floating a good five, six inches away from the dashboard. And yes, I've been using, it's, it's in theory exactly what I've been looking for. But will it hold my iPhone 6 Plus if it's in the case? And, you know, the, it does say it's a pivot on there. So could I really adjust it so I can see it perfectly um, from the driver's seat and all that? Mm. Uh, can I also rotate this horizontally instead of just vertically? Uh, the quick answer after using this for two or three days now is yes, yes, and yes. Cool. Um, it seems to be, I think, it seems to be the solution I've been looking for. Yeah. And like I said, I don't use CDs in my car. Now, I know you do. Well, technically, uh, your no, wife does. My wife does. Um, I'm not sure whether this would fit in hers because her CD slot is is kind of buried in the dash. So there's a there's a slot to get in there, but it's it's not the right at the front of the... Do you see what I mean? There's probably, I do. About, probably about an inch of, of, of fascia in front of the CD slot, which is no problem if you're putting a CD in because you just push past it. But I think to get this in would be a struggle. And in my car, in the Leaf... The CD slot is actually behind the screen for the sat nav. Right, so you have and to, to lower the, the screen. CD, and, you, yeah, yeah, you press a button and the and the screen comes up, you know, it's like motorizes out of the way. It's kind of cool, really. Um, my son likes to just Push have it open, button. close, open, yeah, yeah. close. Yeah, um, but obviously, I couldn't use that either for this because uh, the CD slot's hidden away. But it's a neat idea. Well, very neat. For idea. me, I have two radios in my car. I have the stock CD player that came with the Honda, and then I've got a Pioneer aftermarket right underneath it. There's a space where you can put, like, gum and stuff like that. That's where I had the company mount the uh, Pioneer system. Or is it Pioneer? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Pioneer. So the original radio, you could turn it on, but nothing happens. You don't hear anything. And it's flush mount. So that's where I mounted this thing. And uh, so far, I really like it, David. It seems to really be working. It actually comes with extra grippers for if your CD opening is wider than yeah. normal you can put these extra spacers on there to tighten it up but i didn't need to use them they're sitting in my glove box right now so here's my question okay um how come none of the car manufacturers has actually designed a standard for doing this well <laughs> you know I, it would not be on their wit to basically have a screw hole uh, kind of a, a you know an inch wide screw hole with a big beefy screw in it 
that you would could then screw a pole into that then would have whatever mount you want on and every car could have exactly the same one a kind of a standard i agree wouldn't even need to be screwed i mean you could you could have some sort of magnetic mount some something in there but basically every car comes with just as they all come with a with a a, oh sorry that we're not allowed to call them cigarette lighters anymore because they come with a dc power outlet in the front they all have it somewhere. They, they everyone puts it in a different place. Why do manufacturers not come up with a standard for mounting a phone? And so the actual bit that goes in the dashboard to make sure that your phone is held securely and not in your line of not in your line of vision while you're driving and is available to you. Why do they not have a standard for that so that everyone can then just design a mount that can go into it? And you can have whatever type of mount you want for whatever type of phone you have. But at least the bit that connects it to the car is kind of solid and sturdy and, and is built into the car rather than being, you know, a flimsy bit of plastic that was never designed to do that. Yeah, I agree 100%. I don't know why they're not doing it. It's not like having a smartphone is a new thing. I mean, <laughs> even if you <laughs> went to modern one, yeah. times, they started in 2007 with the iPhone. Yeah. So, you know, it, they've been here for eight years, and yet not one car manufacturer, when they're designing the interior of a car, especially for the driver ever takes into account that you're going to want your phone somewhere in there. Yeah. I Even the new Mustangs. I drove one of those as a rental car a couple months ago in L.A. They give you USB ports. This is great. Oh, except for they're in the inside the armrest in the center console. Yeah, my wife has my wife's car has that as well, and it's the most stupid thing ever. It's, because it's so dumb. Well, I think what they're thinking is, is all right, if you have an, uh, if you have, um, an iPod or an iPhone, then... You connect it via USB. You can actually interface all the music on that through the right. through the car's stereo system. Yep. So the idea is is that you would put your iPod, your iPhone, in the in the um, armrest, out of the way, out of sight, and then run it through through the car system. And the problem is, well, the problem is you do more than just play music on your phone. <laughs> you might use it for sat nav. You might want but to let's, use let's it for assume, phone calls. Let's, but know? let's assume that it. It's an older car, and it was definitely built for the iPod generation. Mm-hmm. The problem still is their interface and the electronics of the car itself the, on the radio absolutely always suck when it comes to navigating that. Yeah, it's terrible. So I don't know. Maybe maybe so, somebody's yeah, it listening. Goes back to what you were just saying about having the app on your on your radio for Spotify and all of that. Mm-hmm. You were saying, well, what, what if those services go away? Even when they're, when they're here now, I'd rather use all that stuff on my phone than, than on the janky stuff they built into the car. Because the stuff in the car is never going to get updated, ever. No, and, and not only that, it's, it's normally bargain bracement electronics, yep. really cheap processors, so it's slow, it doesn't register your finger presses properly, it's, it's normally terrible. Yep. yep. Anyways, that's what I'm using right now. Oh, I don't like that. Uh, it's going to have the same problems that you just described with it. It's not going to work with every CD player. But if you have a flush mount CD player and you never use your CD ever, this is a good solution. And even if you do, this is you, you flip a lever down underneath it to get the tension off of the little mounts, and it just slides right out, no problem. But I'm still going to use the little you know, springy thing that clips onto the uh, dashboard. For when I'm on the road, when I'm in a rental car, which I will be at the beginning of June. So I'll be in L.A. for two days. And I've got a lot of driving. I, after I land and get my rental car, i got to go to a hotel. I've got a meeting 
um, 30 miles from downtown LA, which means that's like a two hour drive in LA traffic. Yeah. And back. And when I'm in LA and in places like that where I don't know the roads, I don't know, although I am starting to get to know my way around LA pretty well. <laughs> I've been there so often. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're in a rental car in a, in a foreign city, you want your GPS. You got it's it's almost a necessity nowadays, and you want it so you can actually read it. Which is why yeah. I never want to rent another freaking Mustang because there's no place to put it. So, yeah. Anyways, so you got to play with the new MacBook. I did. Yeah, I was down at the Apple Store um, over lunchtime today. Met up with the family for lunch, and so I thought I'd take the opportunity to go in. So, um, hmm, very interesting. It it is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it looks nice. Uh, I mean, in in person, it really is amazing. And and when you kind of, I mean, I'm, look, I'm talking to you here on an 11 inch MacBook Air. Um, it makes the MacBook Air look fat. Hmm. Uh, and and it makes the Mac. And, and here's the real thing: it makes the 11 inch MacBook Air feel heavy. Does it really? <laughs> yeah, it really, really does. I mean, it is. It is very much like if they took the iPad and turned it into a computer. It's it's really really like that. So it's it's incredibly cool. And that's actually what they're that's kind of what they're going for with it. I think it? so. Yeah, but the screen, uh, you know, like all Retina screens, looks amazing. Um, it's really really nice. Uh, I don't think I want one though. So here's here's the thing. So the the big thing obviously is apart from the screen, which obviously kind of goes without saying, is the ports. And the keyboard. The ports, I really could care less about. I, You know, I, I know there's been a lot of talk about, oh, what happens if you want to plug this in, you want to plug that in. You know, I carry a 17-inch MacBook Pro for work, and I don't really plug an awful lot of stuff into it day by day. So I could live with dongles. I could live with wireless. I could live with um, something, in particular something that's got a longer battery life than my MacBook Pro, I could live with the single port. I don't, that's not a big issue for me, particularly as in, you know, within six to eight months as USB-C becomes more prominent, there's going to be loads of aftermarket solutions for um, docks and video and charging and those sorts of things. So that I'm not worried about. The keyboard, though. The keyboard was something I really wanted to try, and it is very, very strange. What's strange about uh, it? Well, it, because it's everyone's going has kind of gone. Oh well, it's kind of like typing on an iPad. Now I'm pretty good at typing on an iPad, and I really don't mind it. And, and you know, I, I find it quite easy to do. I'm the sort of typist who isn't a touch typist. So even though I'm now proficient enough for many years of practice that I'm not really looking at my fingers, I am kind of looking at my fingers a fair bit. Um, so when I type on an iPad, because I'm not a touch typist, it doesn't really bother me. And I actually, I, I find the feel of glass under my fingers to be perfectly nice, actually. It doesn't, you know, I can type pretty well on an iPad, doesn't bother me. But the problem is typing on a screen means that you only see half the screen, which is the downside of something like that. People have said, oh, typing on the MacBook is a bit like typing on the iPad glass. It's not, because there is the, still that little bit of give. Uh, and it is really kind of strange because it, it, it feels like no other keyboard you've ever typed on before. And that's a problem. The, yeah, the travel is the travel is so tiny. Um, it's really, really, it just feels odd. Yeah, it just gives a tiny little bit. I mean, it, it's substantially less than on a MacBook Air. I mean, really, really less. So much so that looking at the key, you can barely see it depress. It's literally a couple of millimeters. So 
the the keys feel great. They're large. They're more spaced out than they are on an 11 inch MacBook. So, um, you know, look, I I typed about three four paragraphs directly into um, pages on on this MacBook, and after I'd finished, I looked up at the screen and I'd made only one error. So it's not that it's a bad keyboard. But it just feels strange. And I think the problem is you either are going to get used to it or you're not. If you get used to it, then you're never going to worry about it again. If you can't get used to it, every time you type on it, it's going to feel tiresome because it feels so odd. So it really is very much a chalk and cheese thing. Marco Arment bought one as well. Yeah, I know. He really didn't like it at all, yeah, did he? Yeah, he wrote, I hate yeah. typing on it. I hate the trackpad. It's slower than I expected. The screen is noticeably blurry from non-native scaling to get reasonable screen space, and I don't even find it very comfortable to use in my lap because it's too small. I I would say that, that probably he was kind of very much on the fence before he started. And yeah. you know what? Look, these things are very personal, and not just because he doesn't like it doesn't mean it's a bad computer. The thing for me is is looking at it. While I was there, I took a, round, a look around at the other machines, and um, I've always, for the last few years, I've used either a a, you know, a big pro, which like, I've got this 17-inch MacBook Pro, which is an old one that's 2009, or I've used my 11-inch uh, Air. Um, I took a look around. I thought to myself, if I was going to drop money down today, my own money, I would probably get the 13-inch Retina MacBook Pro. Because it's something. Well, because it's really it's it's so thin, it's so light, uh, and it's so much more capable than the Airs or the MacBook. To me, I think that's the sweet spot of the range. I really do think it is. And and in terms of specs, if you spec it up so it's the same as a MacBook with a 256 gig um, uh, drive and 8 gig of RAM, it's it's round about the same price. So for me, it's, it, it's far better value, put it that way, unless you really need something truly, truly ultra-portable. So um, that's, you know, I, I can see that the MacBook is the future. I mean, I think we all need to get used to that. Um, I just wonder whether that particular form factor is going to stay quite the same over the next, after the next generation, or whether it will change. I'd be interested to see how well it sells. I've got to be honest, I saw several people come over to the, to the table where it was while I was in there, look at it for a few minutes, and then wander off. It didn't really look like, you know, sometimes you go in the Apple store and there's a, a buzz around the particular tables because that's the products everyone wants to see. The, the MacBook didn't seem to be doing it for people. Well, uh, we'll see. I mean, you know, it's something that we'll keep an eye on and talk about here on TechFan. It's, uh, I don't want one. I, I already knew that as soon as I saw it, and I read the specs. It To me, it didn't make any sense. Uh, well, I, it, it seemed I, I like it was a step I, back from what they already have. I think the specs are misleading. I, I don't believe you can just look at gigahertz and um, processor uh, model and that sort of thing and just immediately draw real conclusions from that. It's got faster SSD than many of the older machines. I, I think, obviously, I wasn't really able to test the performance, but um, in my opinion, m- machines of that generation are going to be perfectly fine for most people. You're right. Most people can't look at specs and make up their mind about a computer like that, David. I feel confident that I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, from having sold Apple products professionally to being, uh, you know, covering Apple for 20 years um, and knowing what's out there and being intimately familiar with it already, I kind of had an idea of what the performance is as soon as I saw the specs. And, yeah, I, uh, I, I think yeah, the problem is, 
Yeah, the, I think I'm, and I'm not trying to talk you into it. I because as I say, I, I think for my own money, I, I probably wouldn't buy one. I would buy a different machine. I think the problem with the with the specs and the performance is that if you pick a machine up expecting it to be slow, it will seem slow to you, no matter how slow it actually is. You're right. Because I think there's an awful lot going on in OS X that can appear slow no matter what machine you're on, even on a Mac Pro. And you, and if you're looking for it, you'll spot those things. And if you're not looking for it, you won't. So I, I'm just I'm just I think it's all very very subjective. Put it this way: I don't think any computer you buy today is by the standards of a few years ago slow in any stretch of the imagination. You know, if you're so, looking for something, um, you're going to find it. Yeah. Unfortunately, for Microsoft, people are always looking for them to put crapware on their newest <laughs> OS, and they're not disappointing this time around either, David. So um, this is this is interesting. So we talked about this a couple of weeks ago where uh, Microsoft at their build conference announced that they were going to let people be able to port games and software from different platforms into Windows. Um, and uh, so you're going to be able to compile iOS games so they run on Windows. You're going to be able to... Uh, take Android games and, and run them on Windows. Uh, and to kind of prove this point, um, that Windows 10 will include for free, pre-installed for all users coming coming soon, uh, Candy Crush Saga. <laughs> now you say it's for free, but Candy Crush Saga, the whole reason for being as far as the company that makes it is concerned is it's got in-app purchases. Exactly. So I wonder... Uh, is it this, when it says for free? Any you could download it for free right now on any device, but does it have the in-app purchases? I, I'm sure it will. It has why would to. They, why would they? That is their business model. Why would it not? This is pretty much the same as putting a syringe of heroin in the box with the machine. Yeah. In that you know this is going to hook you on something that's going to cost you in the long run. But here's the thing: it, it, as popular as Candy Crush Saga was. A year and a half ago, um, I've seen through some of the uh, gaming websites that I frequent that its popularity has plummeted over the last six months. Which is why this is a smart move for the makers of Candy Crush Saga, because yep. they're going to expose a whole load of people who've probably never seen their game before yep. to it. Because, you know, a whole you're going to buy a computer for your grandparents and it's going to come with Windows 10 on it, and they're going to find this game. It's just like, I mean, you know what? One of the two of the most popular games of all time is Minesweeper and Solitaire, which came in the original version of Windows. Yeah. They're there. They're pre-installed. People will play them. And so I think it's concerning that Microsoft is going to bundle an in-app purchase game as part of that. And secondly, you know, it's an operating system. I can see, I can see for the makers of Candy Crush Saga why this makes sense. They're getting exposed to a potentially a, an, a new audience of oh, I don't know, a few hundred thousand, maybe up to a, a billion or so. But what's in it for Microsoft? I don't know. This and here's a, the thing: they have their own, they own Xbox. They have their own gaming studio. In fact, yeah. they just made big news about three weeks ago because they came out with these two Halo handhelds on the iOS device. Why, the, the reason, why don't they put those on there? It's their own game. The reason games. they've done this is presumably to prove to developers how easy it is to, to take your games and port them to Windows 10. Yeah. But really, um, I can't believe, unless, un, unless Candy Crush Saga makes a ton of new money, in which case uh, developers will start porting their games over. But, I, I, I mean, what's, what's that, what's that going to mean 
for Windows 10 users. They're going to get a crush, uh, a, a rush of in-app purchase games. Oh, well, great. <laughs> Notifications <laughs> pushed on them from something exactly. pre-installed. And, and, and a, it's, and a it's bad. When, credit cards. You know, it's, it's one thing when you put a, a little simple game. Apple puts chess in, in uh, the Mac OS, you know. Um, yeah. Or at least they used to. I haven't even looked to see if it's still there. But Microsoft has been notorious for decades of loading up their operating system, the clean install, with crap like this. And it's disappointing that <laughs> in 2015, when they're, t- they're really trying to promote Windows 10, they're going right back to their old business, business tactics that don't work today, and they just don't seem to get it. Yeah, so. No. Uh, let's take our uh, last break here. Yep, uh, it's going to be a three-break episode, and we'll be right back. Ever think about becoming a podcaster? Thinking, wow, you know, that's probably way too hard. Well, we have a solution. The Stoplight Network is looking for brand new shows to join the network. Won't cost you a dime. In fact, you might actually make some money off of it. So if you've always wanted to podcast, then it seemed way too daunting drop me a line. My name is Tim Robertson. I am the host of Tech Fan. I started the MyMac podcasting at the dawn of podcasting, and I can help you get your podcast up and running. Simply send an email to Tim, that's T-I-M, at MyMac, M-Y-M-A-C, dot com. Tim at MyMac.com. Let's get your show ready for prime time. And we're back here on TechFan. David, you just went and checked on your machine, and sure enough, chess is still there. On uh, I'm playing it now. Yeah. But it immediately says, please, if you want speech, then you need to download a 1.2 gigabyte patch, which is kind of a sign the modern times. For chess. Yeah. Yeah. 1.2 gigabytes for chess. That's That's... I don't even know what to say about that. That's no. just crazy. Speaking of crazy, Adobe's actually pulling some products out of uh, the iOS app marketplace. Oh, we were just talking about um, Microsoft and its its old business models, and this is more of the same from And and we were talking last week about Sega doing the same thing, pulling out some products. They did. They pulled, there was probably about 25 different pieces they pulled out of the app store when I saw the list, Yeah, uh, including stuff that had been there. um, They pulled all the Super Monkey Ball games, which had been there from the beginning. Everyone has been horrible on iOS. Every one of them. And I like Super Monkey Ball on uh, the GameCube. I mean, when my older girls, who were in their 20s now, were little, and the GameCube was new, uh, I remember family nights where me, Julie, Rachel, and Brittany would sit around racing each other in Super Monkey Ball, and it was so much fun. And I saw, oh, they got it up for the iPad. They got it on the iPhone. I bought them. They were terrible. So why not invest to make them better rather than pull them? But that's that's the argument we made last last week. Yep. So this one, um, this is Adobe, is basically pulling Photoshop Touch and a couple of other of their products from the app store as well and their strategy as this was reported apparently now is rather than have big branded adobe apps is what they want to have is a whole load of smaller um kind of single function apps so if you want an app to do removal of 
uh, you know, clone removal of, um, you know, kind of a waste paper basket on a beach or something like that, which is something you can do in Photoshop. They'll have an app to do that, but it will only do that. It won't do color correction or file management or any of the hundreds of other things that Photoshop will do. Uh, and the idea will be that apparently they will release a whole load of small apps that do different things rather than having one app that does everything. Right. They didn't want to try to recreate the full functionality of Photoshop or Illustrator in design with one app of each of those on a mobile platform, but rather well, take the yeah. best features and make app, build apps around this. So this is the red eye remover. This is add a Gaussian blur or whatever to your, your pictures, or this is the one that you use uh, to put a border around your pictures. So they're, they're going with the cheapy app route rather than a more fully fledged desktop type of app for mobile. And after all, why would you want to produce a, um, full copy of a fully functional, really good copy of Photoshop for the iPad, because it's not like anyone does any picture photo photography work on on iOS devices. No, that's unheard of. That's on. I mean, you know, you just wouldn't ever think of doing that with the biggest camera platform on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> what do you so, think's behind this, though? I mean, right. Well, I suspect this this all goes back to their um, their desperation for subscriptions. Yeah, um, which is their it was which is their new business model over there, and I suspect what they've done is they've thought to themselves, hmm, if we do these small apps, um, then and we can we can use those apps as hooks to kind of get people to save content into the Creative Cloud, then we might sell more Creative Cloud subscriptions. Yep, uh, I think all they're doing effectively, actually, in in actual fact, is they're seeding the photography editing market to Apple with their own tools and then for add-ons like Pixelmator who probably saw this news and thought fabulous now we're the premier photo editing platform on the iPad um, I think it's really really wrong-headed because why not if you are the market leader in professional photography uh, editing why would why wouldn't you want to do bring your product to to one of the biggest camera platforms on the planet i just don't understand it even if you do want to tie it to subscriptions but you know what i think it would be far better to do a really knockout job on photoshop for the ipad uh, not have it require a creative cloud subscription but then actually um use it to try and sell creative cloud to actually say oh, okay well here we've given you all these great photoshop functionality but you know what it's so much better if you have creative cloud as well um, or, or why not even do one where, okay, if you don't want to pay for the full Creative Cloud of $50, $60 a month, whatever it is, you can get a cut-down version that's mobile only and then gives you you know, 90% of the functionality on the iPad with constraints and that sort of thing. But you know, they still get subscription from, from, um, from iPad users. Oh, hang on. I know why they wouldn't do that because they don't want, to, they don't want Apple to get 30% in that market. That's right. Get, you know, I, but the point is just so wrong-headed. Because effectively what they're doing is they're walking away from probably what is the future of computing and they're saying, oh, we don't want to play in that space. Yep. You know, except for doing Mickey Mouse apps that probably nobody will ever download. They'll download them once, they'll try it, and then they'll never look at them again. And because they're going to be competing with much smaller, faster-moving, more innovative companies that offer very similar, you know, one-function app for doing everything that I mentioned earlier. And, you know... I don't, I don't get it. A fully functional app, like Pixelmator on the iPad is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing. And 
Adobe's response to that apparently is to leave the marketplace. It's just incredible. It really, really is. I, I, you, you have to wonder what's going on inside that company. You know, I, I really, I really think that they're they're taking the quark route. They're just gonna, they're just gonna send themselves to obsolescence or a series of wrong-headed moves. And and some of this, I think, goes back to a theme that we've been talking about on TechFan from the very beginning. It's old businesses trying to do things the old way, even though the world has moved beyond that business model. We don't have buggy whips anymore. And these companies keep wanting to reinvent the buggy whip and trying yeah. to shoehorn it into what we're using now. And, uh, you know, it's not going to work. And, and some would argue, though, David, that their approach here, these smaller apps... That is kind of the new business model, that they're not trying to bring this bloated big piece of crap that takes so much space on your iPad. They, they get rid of that, and you have smaller apps. And maybe you didn't need all the functionality in the big app. You only needed like two or three things. Well, now you can get it, and it's not going to cost you anything, as long as you don't want to share it with your Adobe Cloud account or anything like that. You could just re-save it back to the 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 camera roll. Well, I think that's the problem. I mean, people on the iPad use the camera roll, and Adobe need to embrace that. Well, they, they are. That's to... that's going to be part of what these apps do. They'll you could save your work to your camera roll. But yeah, but the point is, is that people don't. If you're if you you're doing an editing workflow, you don't want to load up three separate apps to do three different things. No. <laughs> why? Why on earth would you want to do that? You want to do it all in one place. So well, why some people would. I don't know. I, I'm kind of on the fence, to be uh, honest. I could see it both ways. I, I think this this approach comes from Adobe saying, oh, well, the people on iOS, they're not really serious about photos. It's just people who want to take photos and send them up to Instagram. Instagram. I think it's a very uh, – it's it's a, an idea about photography on mobile that probably existed about five years ago, but it's not real today. You know, this is the camera that, that, like it or not, most people use. And if people are using that cam, using that camera, then they want to edit those photos and do something on the device. They don't want to go to uh, a different program in a different on a different platform and do them there unless they're professionals, right? And and but the problem is, is that the better the tools get on mobile devices, the less likely professionals are going to see the value in having the full Creative Cloud subscription. They're going to say, you know what, I can build a perfectly effective workflow using Pixelmator and other tools on the iPad, and then I don't need to, near, to go near my computer. And you know why that's an advantage for, for a professional photographer? Because he can do all his workflow out in the field. He can do it in his car after he's finished a shoot at the end of the day, rather than having to go back and sit in the studio all evening. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. So. I, 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 think, I think they... They're going to regret this. I I really do. Um, but I'd be interested if anybody, uh, either as as prosumer, consumer, or professional photographers who's listening to this, thinks I've got it wrong. Hmm. Best way to let us know: tech or the show at techfanpodcast.com. Send us an email, or go to our Facebook, Twitter, or website techfanpodcast.com. David, um, a month ago, maybe a little less. Uh, I mentioned that I was uh, inspired by a guest that I had on OWC Radio, um, T.R. Harris, mm -hmm. to start writing myself. Yep. 
and that I was going to publicly say I was doing that to kind of hold myself accountable. Uh, I actually sent David an early part of that. Uh, hopefully mm-hmm. he didn't read it because I changed a lot of it. <laughs> but I am up no, to... I, 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 changed, yeah, the, I changed it too. I changed the name on the authorship and then I published it to my own. Good, good. Because <laughs> it will read a lot different than what I've actually done. Um, I'm at... 8,538 words. Cool. On my book. I don't know if that's good or bad. Well, it's a start. It is. 8,000 more words than you had a couple of weeks ago. So uh, There you go. That is absolutely true. So for those who are wondering, and nobody emailed me to ask, so probably nobody, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I am pushing on with the the book that I'm writing. And add that to the arcade that I'm building and doing this podcast and working at OWC and... Cub Scout meetings and um, nobody nobody emailed me asking why I'm not getting enough sleep. <laughs> so what, what um, just to just to talk talk kind of tools for a minute? Uh, what are you writing it in? Pages. You're writing it in pages, and how are you finding that? It's okay. Um, I, you know, I don't really care what I write. In. Look, if I was writing a screenplay, that there's software like a, that I would rather write in. Because it, it kind of does a lot of that formatting for you. But if you're writing a book, I don't think it really matters what you write it in. Unless you're going to be sending it to a print house that has to you know turn it into an actual book, then you probably want to use Microsoft Word. So I, a, lot of, a lot of people in the writing groups I frequent use a tool called Scrivener, yep. which is uh, apparently as well as your manuscript, it allows you to have sidebars referencing different chapters or plot lines or character developments or something like that to kind of help you keep track of everything as your story gets more complicated. Uh, I can see where that would help, but I I literally have two pages open. I have one that has uh, a couple plot details and a little bit of each about each character. So I've got like the character's name, um, how old they are, if that's important. Mm-hmm. And I like I've got a daughter in this story, and I needed to remember how old she was, and what year she was born. So that's in my little cheat sheet. But it's mm-hmm. not, you know it's not even a paragraph if I format it that way. It's just little bullet points. Yeah. But as I was saying before, what helped get me over the hump, which is why that tool that you're talking about probably wouldn't help me, is I rethought of the meaning of chapters and how I'm writing. And I'm looking at everything that happens as a scene. And yeah. so what's going to happen in this scene? And I only need the information for this scene that happens in this scene. And then if the next scene references something that happened before, I'll just go back and reread that or glance at my cheat notes to see, oh, where did this guy work again? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's how I spelled it. That's right. And you're looking back and you go, oh, no, so Han did shoot first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so... I'm having a good time writing it. Um, I've done most of my writing after the kids are in bed. Mm -hmm. So between like, uh, honestly, most of my writing is 10 to 11.30 at night, which is not my most productive time because that's right before I go to sleep. But it's been working for me. I I throw in a pair of headphones. uh, I put on some music. And I just kind of try to lose myself as I start writing. Although I'm at, I'm at a scene right now where I'm not quite sure if I want to move the story ultimately where it's going to go or do I want to put some padding between that and uh, it's too hard to explain without spoiling anything. So yeah. I'll just leave it there. I'm, I'm kind of at an impasse. I'm not sure which direction I want to go. 
Uh, I haven't written for two days at this point, and I'm still thinking about it all the time. And I think I know where I'm going to go next. I'm going to put some padding in. I don't want to introduce this fourth character in with the other three quite yet, because I'm about to introduce the third character to the first two. I know that sounds confusing. But what it comes down to is I am writing, and it's coming along, and I have every intention of actually seeing this to completion and selling this book on Amazon for Amazon Kindle, basically. I don't know if I'll go the Apple iBooks route. Uh, I know most people don't because there's just not enough customer base there compared to Vine or compared to Amazon. So that's the update on the writing. I thought it'd be only fair that I did say I was going to uh, commit to it publicly. So I would force myself to continue to write. And then I didn't talk about it for like two or three shows. Well, so that's we, at. we appreciate your uh, sharing your creative process. Look forward to seeing the. Uh, What's this the keyboard result. that you sent me a picture of? Ah, that's my my latest. You know, I like vintage stuff. Yeah, I'm always looking through the vintage computer section on uh, eBay, and so I spot this the other day, and it was for sale in Preston, which is about thirty miles away from where I live. Um, but I had a meeting there the following Monday, so I thought mm, that this this is. The, the the fate of the universe telling me this is meant to be, and it is the Apple Extended Keyboard Two. It's so a great. Is, it's the it's the my second favorite keyboard. I've always said on this show. I mean, I've got the clicky. Yeah. You know that that's the IBM Model M. It's my yeah. all time favorite keyboard. But if that's a hundred percent to me, what you just bought is ninety eight percent. It's it's I'm, almost there. I was really excited because, as I mentioned before, I used to have. A mechanical keyboard that that I had with my first PC, and like an idiot, <laughs> when I sold the PC, I gave the keyboard away yep. because it was it was the it was the original eight pin DIN connection, and I thought, oh, I'll never connect that to anything modern, and that'll be no good. And of course, now I don't now I realize I didn't appreciate what I had because I I missed that keyboard terribly. So uh, yeah, I spotted this, and normally these are going for eighty hundred pounds. Yeah, they're not anybody, cheap. Anybody who knows what 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 they're doing knows these things are uh, great keyboards and worth a lot of money. This was sixteen pounds. Wow! <laughs> from um from a company that was doing looked like they when I when I got there it was like a warehouse. It was all like they're doing computer office clearances and stuff like that. So it's just a keyboard only. It's a little bit yellow, um, as many things of that age are. But I'm not too worried about that because. Uh, a, it doesn't matter what it looks like to type on it, and B, I know how to get it back to the original grey colour if I want to, which is to... Beige, put, technically. Uh, yeah, cover it to... If you cover these things with um, uh, something called Retrobrite, which is kind of a gel mixture of hyd- mostly hydrogen peroxide, and leave them in the sun for a day, then it gets rid of the yellowing. So I can do that if I want to. Um, it didn't have any cables, uh, so a, a keyboard of this vintage... Well, they, these must these must be what early nineties. Yep. Yeah. Late so these 80s, have, early nineties. Yeah, these have the Apple desktop bus key uh, connection on, so it's a, like a four bin four pin mini DIN. It's actually the same. Um, here's a handy tip if you if you do want to pick up one of these old keyboards, it's the same physical cable as an S video cable. So rather than trying to find a proper ADB cable, the watch I actually already had one. But if you want to get one of these old uh, uh, you can, in fact, pretty much anything from the, from the old Mac days. They did some great joysticks and trackballs and things like that back then. And you can normally pick them up for a song. If you want to connect those to a modern computer, you need two things. You need an ADB cable, and as I say, you can just use a cheap S video cable. 
and then you also need something called a Griffin iMate, which basically turns the ADB connection into a USB connector. And I already had one of those as well. I knew I'd, I'd seen one flash around in my garage somewhere. So, uh, so how do you like it? It's fabulous. It yeah. really, really is good. It's it's the now the apparent. I'm looking up online. I find that the apparently not all extended keyboard twos are the same. Some of them had different switches in than others. What what you want is one that was made in the U.S. or made in Ireland because those definitely had the mechanical, proper yeah. mechanical Alp switches in them. This one does, and and yeah, it's not as loud as yours because they apparently they did something to, with the keyboard the extended keyboard too to make it quieter yep so there's some rubber in there that kind of makes it look quieter but it, the feel is amazing um it yeah it types really well all the all the keys work so i'm really pleased with that even the little power switch on the top works puts my uh my power my macbook air to sleep by the uh by the iMate when i press the button so that's really really cool so yeah it's, it's really great and it you know it looks it looks kind of retro which is something i appreciate as well i uh, i've actually been thinking about picking one of those up i see them occasionally pop up on craigslist and ebay for the cheap and i know how much they're actually worth yeah um I really like my IBM Model M's, but I kind of would rather have one that had that Apple logo. I've got a black keyboard, which, eh. Um, But I learned to type on that keyboard. That was my keyboard for years until I got my first USB-only Mac. And then, Mm -hmm. of course, I switched over to the Mac keyboards and or the the updated keyboards, which I didn't like. But you've got a good keyboard there. Yeah. It's... you can tell just from picking it up because it weighs a ton. It does. There's really, weight to really those. heavy. Yeah, because it's it's basically it's all solid metal inside. It's um it's amazing. It is it's kind of in fact I be, I I believe the um I believe the uh, code name with inside Apple for both for the original extended and then the, this one the extended two was after um, aircraft carriers from the U.S. Navy, the Saratoga and the Nimitz. Yes, <laughs> because they are so big they are battleship keyboards yeah if you guys are used to those cheap plastic keyboards that ship with the dell computer desktop computers you can lift one of those up with a feather i mean they weigh nothing they're just cheap plastic nothing and then you lift one of these up or one of my ibm model m's my keyboard weighs more than my laptop yeah and you you could imagine you could if you got in a fight with somebody, you could beat them to death with this very easily right you watch an old 80s movie where someone hit someone with a keyboard (laughs) that hurt Nowadays, it'd be nothing. You'd be like, what are you doing? But back then, that was an actual weapon. You could hurt somebody with that. So I'm glad you picked that up, David. Keep us up, you know, keep us abreast on, uh, you know, usage if any issues I've, prop up or yeah, I've, got a, I've got a big document to turn out next week so it'll get used in anger next week i yeah. just had a this today but uh yeah next week it's really that, gonna get that some... typing fatigue is gonna be a thing of the past in no time well it, it, uh, this is what the real you know i went i literally left my office went from the extended keyboard two to the new macbook keyboard i mean talk about chalk and cheese oh yeah <laughs> it's the only thing i didn't like about the apple keyboards is that stupid uh winded up uh cable I, I hated that. What well, the the um, the telephone cable yeah, the, that the came coil out. Cable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't like. As that. I say, you, you don't you don't have to you, you pick up a, an S video cable as, as whatever length you want for cheap. So you don't have to have that cable. I didn't know you could use an S video cable. Yeah, it's, but it's apparently it's electrically identical. So apparently you can. Use an S-Video cable to substitute ADB, no problems. Don't do it the other way around, because while it works, obviously an ADB cable was never designed to take video, and the picture quality is horrible. Right. <laughs> but the, the electrical impulses from a keyboard is nothing. 
Absolutely, and and in, obviously a proper S video cable has all sorts of shielding and stuff in that ADB doesn't care about what the video does, so that's why it doesn't work the other way around. But yeah, they are literally identical, so you can just pick up a black S video cable, whatever length you want, and you'll be golden. That and what was the other thing? It, the other thing is the Griffin Eye, mate, and that's the thing that's a bit harder to get hold of. That basically turns the ADB signal into USB. Yep. Hmm. I wonder if. No, probably not. Because I know that there's S video to to USB converters. I wonder if that would work. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, it depends how. I mean, I mean, with the iMate, as soon as I plugged it in, immediately my Mac said, "Oh, I see you plugged a keyboard in. Yeah. Press the next." And um, so it, it's obviously designed to pass through that sort of thing. I don't know whether the S video converter is. Yeah, I've got an iMate somewhere. I think it's in a box in the basement somewhere. I've owned like three of them, and I never get rid of them, but I haven't had a use for one in eight years, maybe? Yeah. So, with that, we're going to wrap up this extra long episode of Tech Fan Podcast. David, thanks for being here, and uh, thank the listeners out there for downloading and listening all the way through. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. 